Hi, this is Pastor Curtis Crawford welcoming you to our podcast. At Revive Outreach Church, we're striving to revive an awareness of Christ in our communities through Christ-centered compassion, service, and evangelism. You can learn more about us online at www.reviveoc.org or on Facebook at facebook.com slash church. We hope that you enjoy this message, and God bless. Today, uh, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. Um, if you remember the last time that I preached, I believe I was teaching on Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and I described Jesus going up the mountain and coming down, right, and how, you know, Jesus is to be seen as almost a second Moses, and he really starts setting the tone for the type of person that's in the kingdom. And... Jesus, for the context, he just finished that sermon, that long piece of teaching in Matthew. So I'm going to briefly summarize Matthew 5, 6, 7, all the way up to 8, okay? But it's not going to take too long, okay? Just a couple paragraphs. So bear with me, but we need the context. So Jesus just finished the Sermon on the Mount, and he's preached on a lot of topics. And he's kind of subverted the expectations of his audience, because in his description of the kingdom of heaven, he described not just proper outward practice— but also a proper posture before God and our fellow man. See, in the kingdom of heaven, God blesses the poor, the mourning, the meek, the hungry and thirsty for righteousness, the merciful, the pure at heart, the peacemaker, and finally, the persecuted. He's described the citizens of that kingdom of heaven, that that seemingly lofty, unapproachable high place, but it's home and hosts the most humble and unassuming people. Christ described what these values truly look like in a man's life. That he should not just be meek externally before a crowd on the outside, but that's its own cheap reward. Rather, we ought to be truly humble and obedient in secret before God, our Heavenly Father. It is not only what a man does on the outside that pleases God, but also that he is living and hungering and thirsting inside for the righteousness of God. A man shouldn't offer an offering to God publicly, yet hate and revile his neighbor privately. A man ought not to pray lengthily for others to listen, but secretly for their heavenly Father to hear them all the better. We ought not to love the treasures of this world, for our greatest treasure is found in God's dominion in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, the Lord makes several warnings about equating unlike things. We ought to judge justly, not as hypocrites. We ought to ask with expectation of God as a child asks for their father to fulfill their need. We should treat others as we might be treated, entering by the narrow gate of life and not the wide trails of death. We must recognize the bad fruit from the good, the healthy from the diseased, those pruned to produce and those removed to be purged. Finally, we must build our foundation on the solid rock of Christ's command and all else is sinking sand. He is our preservation, our peace, our prince, our companion, but in all this, he is our authority and justifier. And is with this being fully preached that our Lord endeavored to make his next move. And we see in verse 1, it says, When he came down from the mountain, the great crowds follow him. Now Jesus descends from that mountain, and the crowds follow him. I can't help but be reminded of how we also should follow Jesus. Not only when he is clearly visible, uplifted on that mountain, but also when it requires us to descend and engage in the real work that comes with the gospel in the valley. Jesus did not just go down without intention. 
He didn't just wander aimlessly without purpose or blindly. See, he didn't do anything without intention. He had a purpose to fulfill. See, many of us today would love to draw a crowd without seeking the individual. But when we look at this story, we see that our Lord purposely and intentionally made himself available to those who needed him. Even those most unclean, most unworthy, most hated and despised by the people, and it was even believed those rejected by God himself. Jesus was followed by the crowds after a massive public speaking event. Most leaders, right, after a major rally or speech might entertain the media, the propagandists, or the base of their followers. Maybe they might steal away and meditate and rest. But good King Jesus didn't do that. Jesus instead made time for a private audience with a man considered beneath him, a dead man walking. Not the politician, not the Pharisee or the religious elite, not the fans and the fanfaring followers, but for a lowly sick soul, unwanted and unloved by all those who knew of his condition. This man was pitiful, pathetic, and beneath notice except to be avoided and reviled by those around him. Because we see in verse 2, Behold, a leopard came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This poor soul wasn't just a kind of reprobate. He was a leper. To understand the severity of his condition, you have to understand what leprosy was considered to the ancient Jews. It was a sign of God's wrath and a living reminder of condemnation of sin. There were rabbis in this day, religious teachers, that taught that leprosy was a direct curse from God himself. It was personal, pitiless, and painfully clear that when you were marked with this uncleanness, you were now considered a social pariah and you were excommunicated out of the covenant community. Socially and spiritually, you were as good as dead. And indeed, it was probably better to be dead because at least when you die physically completely, you don't have to deal with the rejection as your family and friends leave you in your rags, wrapped up, alone. But for the leper, he was worse than dead, for he was alive and able to feel that rejection. His punishment was not simply to die, but to die continually, as his disease slowly claimed his flesh and body, corrupting him over time and condemning him to isolation from his place, his people, and his God. Leprosy, put bluntly, can be paralleled to sin. And like sin, it cannot be tolerated in the presence of a holy and righteous God. It cannot abide in God's people. The leper shouldn't have been there. He shouldn't have been near the crowds, for it was the custom of the time for a leper to always remain at least six feet away from any person in their presence. Recently, you guys might be able to relate to that. Everyone would have given up on him. He had no chance of healing, no chance of home, no chance for hope. And yet, nevertheless, it seems he was compelled to come because he believed in Christ. Interesting to note, in the ancient world, they would not have sought medical attention as a Jew. Leprosy was considered incurable. And so the only person who could heal it, it was considered God. And therefore, because only God could heal it, it was considered a personal sign of his dissatisfaction with you. But we don't see that that stopped him because he came to worship the one he knew was Lord. And it's important to note that he did this before the healing, before the miracle, before there were any signs or wonders. There was only Christ's word. Notice that the teaching and preaching of the word compelled action and obedience from the leper to worship. That was the leper's hope. He heard Jesus and he believed in Jesus 
And it followed that he must kneel before Jesus and proclaim the truth that Jesus, if he so willed, could make this leper, this hopeless dead man alive, he could make him clean. How marvelous that even a man rejected by the world and by those in his faith and his family and even seemingly rejected by God himself could be moved to Jesus by worship. It wasn't about what the religious teachers thought or what the people believed. It was who Jesus was and what Jesus willed. Note that the leper first acknowledged who Jesus was. For he knelt and worshipped. That word kneel is also equivocated with an act specifically for the gods, specifically for the divine. He refers to him as Lord and took the special posture of worship reserved only for God. This tells us everything we need to know about approaching King Jesus. All might pay him homage and be healed if they first acknowledge who he is. Even the lowest leper might be brought before him, and so too might we sinners bow and acknowledge Jesus as Lord. Even when we might be ashamed of the crowds, the judgment of religious people and Pharisees, separated from God's own presence by the affliction of our sin, we can see in this leper we have only to take our disease to King Jesus, the good doctor, and we have hope. Amen. For when we put it at his feet, on our knees, and acknowledge his ability, it is only then that we can trust in his will. Amen. A powerless Messiah is no Messiah. It was in his ability to heal the leper trusted. But there's an other end of this. We also knew that Jesus, he knew that Jesus was able See, in knowing who Jesus was, he knew what he could do. You can't properly worship God and get results if you water down exactly what he is. For the leper, there was no demonstration in word or deed that shows he saw Jesus as any other thing less than divine. There is no evidence that the leopard saw Jesus as anything less than divine. When we bow down to Jesus, we do not bow to him as if he were just a creation of the Father or a holy man, or as a good teacher, or just a miracle worker. We don't do so acknowledging his sovereign identity and authority as Lord, for that is what a leper addresses him as. It says in chapter 7, verse 29, for he, Jesus, was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. He wasn't just a teacher. The scribes were capable teachers. They knew the law and memorized it. But the difference was Jesus taught with authority. Jesus taught with authority because he had the authority. When the word of the Lord comes to men, it follows not only that the word is spoken, but that action is taken. The leper perceived what Jesus was because Jesus taught not as man who merely studied the word. He taught as a man equal to the word because he was the word incarnate. Authority didn't derive from the Pharisees or from social norms and conventions. Authority was in God's word lived out in the perfect life of Jesus. Healing did not come by accident or coincidence or osmosis. Healing was because of the intentional heart of the leper meeting and submitting with the intention of God's word, Jesus Christ. The Pharisees, for their part, they sat in the seat of Moses. They had tradition. They had social norms. They had institutional power. And Jesus says, listen to the Pharisees, for they sit in the seat of Moses. But don't do as they do. Right. Because they're hypocrites. See, the Pharisees, they could repeat the right talking points. They, they knew the scriptures. 
They were men of great intellectual prowess. They were the best of the best. In fact, the historian Josephus would recall that they lived righteously and everybody knew it. They were popular community leaders. When Israel had been beaten and conquered by the Romans, right? When, when the Hellenistic kingdoms of the Phoenicians had fallen and, and all that had happened, the Pharisees stepped in as a religious elite to prop back up the institutions and traditions of Israel. They were the hope in a lot of ways. And yet, though they sat in the seat of Moses' institution, they didn't live it out in their lives. That's why they had no authority. Jesus demonstrates for us that for the word to have authority, it requires action and responsibility. And it was in this that the leper could hope, not simply in a word spoken, but in a word internalized, abided in, and acted on. For we see in verse 3, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Everything about this interaction speaks to our hope, which is in God's love. Jesus touched him. He stretched out to him and affirmed him, saying, I will be clean. Jesus didn't have to touch the leper. I just want you to think about that for a moment. Jesus didn't have to touch the leper. He could have just said it. I will thee be healed. We see later in this chapter that he goes and heals a servant of a centurion. No problem. He just says, the centurion says, look, Lord, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Right? For I have soldiers who do my command. I tell them to go and they go and I tell them to come and they come. Jesus could have just immediately spoken, but he didn't. It was the personal touch of Jesus Christ that healed him. This leper probably hadn't felt that touch or the touch of anybody for a long time. Never mind a loving touch, the gentle caress. Jesus reached him physically. And in that very moment, the leper was healed because the miraculous thing was not just Jesus' ability to heal, but his willingness to love. Jesus was willing because Jesus was loving. It says in the Gospel of Mark, talking about this same passage, that Jesus had compassion for the leper. He was moved by it. For many, it is Jesus' ability that draws the attention of the crowd. But for us sin-sick lepers, it is his willingness to love that makes the difference. See, Jesus, at this point, right, this leper knew who Jesus was, definitionally. And that's part of it. He knew Jesus was Lord and Messiah. But he didn't just fit a title. Jesus didn't just fit the right category of what a Messiah should be. He actually filled it out in practice for who the Messiah should be. The leper knew what Jesus was. He knew he was divine. But now he could see who Jesus was. This leper had a more genuine interaction with the Messiah than the religious elite because the leper didn't approach Jesus like Jesus had anything to prove. A lot of times we go to Jesus asking for healing, right, as though he has something to prove to us rather than us being unworthy to approach him. This leper probably kept his distance didn't make eye contact, looked at the ground and knelt because he realized he was unworthy before living God. But he knew that if the Lord was only willing, he could be cleansed. The Pharisees, by contrast, when they came to Jesus, they questioned him and undermined him. They tried to get him to fit their category and definition of what king and Messiah should be. But Jesus didn't fit their definition. 
They were eager to get Jesus to fit into what they perceived he should be, but they missed out on who Jesus would be. The leper was humble enough to approach Jesus knowing not only what he was by his authority and title, but now the matter of faith was trusting who Jesus was. Jesus was the Messiah, but he was also loving and compassionate and willing to save. He was God, not just by definition, but by experience and action. Notice the effect of Jesus' words and touch. For the leper was healed, but not just healed, he was cleansed. When Jesus touches us, we are not only healed, but we are clean. We bear not the scars of sin before God. We have no unsightly blemish to show his counsel. We have only the pure and clean form given to us by Christ. This is the effect of grace on a sinner. For it is our hope in God's ability and his love which makes him willing to cleanse us of all righteousness. Many, including myself, have made the mistake of believing in only one or the other depending on circumstances. However, God is both able and willing, and is that we might kneel confidently and say, if you will, I may be clean. The result of this cleansing was what? It was not great boasting. Jesus didn't use it as a chance to brag. For though that would have been natural to a man, it was not for the Son of Man. For the Lord says, Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded, a proof for them. To pause for a moment, because I think this bears explaining. In my life, I love knowing all about God's biographical information. You know, I love reading the law. In fact, last night, my girl was over and we were reading through Deuteronomy just for fun. And dad was making fun of me. He was like, why did you have to choose that book? It's so, ugh, it's so negative. He's talking about all the punishments and restrictions in the Old Testament. And I'm sitting there explaining each one and how I think it relates to Jesus, right? And dad's making fun of me because it's all negative stuff. But you got to understand that that part of the Old Testament, that part of the scriptures is important to me because it gives me a timeline. It sets standards. It, it puts boundaries and definitions on what God is and who he is and how can you approach him. And it doesn't leave anything ambiguous. It's very clear. God is holy. You please him by being obedient. You displease him by being disobedient. Judgment, condemnation, death. And the only thing that will atone is blood sacrifice. Very simple. Law is set. God fits my personal little box, his category. I don't have any questions. I know everything. Right? But it does nothing to know those laws intellectually like a Pharisee and not to have the spirit of law written in your heart. Right? Amen. That's right. It's not just in what Jesus is, it's in who he is. Not just that he is king, but he is a good, righteous, noble being. Not just that he fulfilled the role of Messiah in the sense of filling some checklist artificial category, Webster's definitions dictionary of what a Messiah should be. But he actually was the genuine article because that was his character. Jesus isn't just an, an ideal or a definition or some, uh, some you know, platonic form floating in space like a triangle or a square, a mathematic equation. He's not just some rational thing that can be understood because God's infinite. He can't just be fully understood with the rational mind. Rather, he needs to be experienced, which is why while the Greeks sought wisdom and they sought to define everything in categories like Aristotle and Plato, the Jews would use word pictures. Jesus wasn't just omnipotent. Instead, they would say, Jesus is the bread of life. Mm -hmm. Everybody, we might not know what the word omnipotent means, but we know what it is to eat bread and be fulfilled and satisfied. 
I mean, I do. You can look at me. You see, I love me some bread, all right? I like to eat. We eat for the satisfaction and the needs to keep our body going. What does that tell you about God? No, it didn't put it out like that, but it tells you everything you need to know that Jesus is your satisfaction and you need him. That you must satisfy yourself on the righteousness of God, that you must fill yourself. You see, it's not enough to just know God's biographical information. You need to experience him in your life. That's what this leper did. He didn't just have a definitional working knowledge of who God was. He had a personal touch from God. We Christians need to be very careful when we look at our spiritual lives that we aren't just checking the boxes of what Jesus is to us, but that we're actually living it out and know who he is in our lives. It does nothing to know who your father is if he never embraces you, if he never touches you, if he doesn't provide for your need or give you wisdom. Does very little to know who your ancestors were or where you came from. If you're so set apart from them, you have no experience with them. In the body, it's the same way. What good does it know to know each of your names, your birth dates, all of that biographical information, and yet not to shake your hand, to embrace you, to pray for you, to lay hands on you, to intercede for you? What's the point of knowing everything about you, but I don't know you? This is what we need to do with Jesus. We can't just know everything about him. We have to know him, and to know him is to be touched by him, and to be touched by Jesus is to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. And Jesus' response to that was not to brag on himself and glory himself. Rather, it was to go and show himself to the priests and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. His interaction with this man was not a sense of self-promotion. Jesus didn't do this because he thought he could get something out of it. What did he have to gain? He had just had all the paparazzi. No, he did this out of compassion, not selfish ambition. It wasn't for his personal glory. It was for the welfare of the leper. For in the Lord's mind was only this, that the leper go to the priest and be reinstated into the community. The man banned from public worship in God's assembly would be brought back into that privileged place. The primary thought was to restore and redeem the leper. It was not a mere wonder for the crowds for we know he had departed from them. It wasn't for public opinion, for we know that at this time, Jesus was keeping it on the down low because it was not yet his time. No. Jesus did this, and he catered to this man because he loved him for its own sake. There was no great agenda, no power play, no politics, just a simple act of submission followed by the Lord's powerful, restoring love. This is the state for us as well. We who were unworthy to enter into God's presence, I who was untouchable and unlovable and unclean, am now touched, loved, cleansed, and restored right into the presence of God upon receiving the atoning work of Christ in our lives. His authority and place is understood by us and his loving affection and action follows to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The Lord proved himself to the leper, to the priesthood, to all those who might have rejected the leper as unclean, and the Lord proved himself. We are proof of Jesus' authority and touch. When we present ourselves before one another, before men, and before God, we present ourselves under the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. This is our sign of being cleansed that we are washed in the blood of God's perfect lamb. 
When we stand before the priesthood, before God the Father, before our fellow man, and all things in heaven and on the earth and under the earth in that great day of judgment, we know that our presentation is covered and backed by Jesus on the cross. This is demonstrated in the gift to Moses. When you came as a leper and you were cured and presented yourself to the priests, you were to offer sacrifice, right? For the Christian, we too, when we present ourselves to God, offer a sacrifice. But it's not our own. It's not a fattened bull or a lamb. It's not an animal. It's the perfect son of God. See, we come before him cleansed, cleaned of all unrighteousness, washed in his blood. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see the leper. He only sees Jesus' touch on our lives. He only sees the image of his son. And we are restored to that great assembly of God. We know the Apostle Paul would say that Jews seek a sign and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Christ is our authority and our wisdom. Christ's work is our sign. Christ is the fulfillment of all that we need. And he is our hope before Almighty God. It's both. To wrap it up, here's the application for this story. There are two men we might want to emulate in this. The first is the leper, and the second is Christ. For the leper can be represented as we were before Christ, before he touched us. For we were rejected by God, dead in our sins, unable to join the assembly of the Lord and properly worship alongside him. God's people were separate from us, for we were not among them. We were despised. And we were hated, and we were diseased, and we were unclean. We were walking corpses, and we had no hope in any medicine or institution of man to heal us or to cleanse us. The leper is us, and we, we are the leper. But even in his unclean state, the leper demonstrating a willingness to worship the Lord for who he is. And the Lord was in turn willing to restore the leper for what he was always intended to be. And we see this in the gospel for Jesus loved us while we were still sinners. We understand the leper's position as we were before being touched by Christ. But if we were cleansed, now let us emulate the second man, the son of man, the one who cleansed and restored us. Let's see what Jesus did here. We talked a lot about the leper. But the response, interestingly enough, after touching is to act as Christ did. Will we make time to approach the unapproachable? When you're down from the mountain, going into the valley, will you make time for the untouchable? Let us will to love as Christ willed to love us. Let us not boast in our works, but offer the works of Christ as a sign that speaks for itself. Let us emulate Jesus in this, no longer as lepers, but as Christians. No longer as outcasts, but as part of God's assembly. No longer servants to bondage, but sons of the living God. Let us have hope in this. Lord, if you will, I will be cleansed. For upon it rests the whole truth of the gospel. And it is in this that we have our hope, a leper's hope. And there is not else beside it.
you for listening to this message. We hope that you enjoyed it and were blessed by it. Each month we have people from all over the world who listen to the messages made available. If you've been blessed by this ministry, would you consider making a donation of any amount to help support us as we continue to reach a loss for Christ? Donations can be made online at www.reviveoc.org or by check at Revive Outreach Church, 411 Chatham Heights Road, Suite 101, Fredericksburg, Virginia, 22405. Thank you for your prayers and your continued support. May God richly bless you.